hello everybody and welcome to the 20th episode of The Lab. We hope you guys enjoyed the interview last week with Michelle Truncali from the University of Notre Dame. Um, today, Brandon has a list of questions that we've kind of pulled back out again. We're going to kind of go through those. Um, if you guys have any questions at the end of all this, please reach out. Feel free to contact us either by DM uh, or just in the gym. All right, Brandon, read them off. I'm going to start getting into some more of a, like some gym pop questions, not necessarily some sports performance. I mean, I'm sure we'll tie in sports performance and rehab and stuff into these questions, but here we go. First one is, should I begin my workout with cardio or weights? For me personally, I think it just depends on what your goal is. If your goal is to be a better runner, uh, start out with running. If it's about to be a better lifter, start out with lifting. You don't want your, uh, you don't want to be tired for what your goal is. So if you want to be strong and you start out with a, a two-mile run, you're going to be fatigued to lift. It's going to damper some of your performances in that department. No, I agree with that. I think it all depends on, like you said, your goal. But like, what's the intent of the workout? If you're just kind of going throughout and mixing and matching and throwing cardio and then weightlifting, cardio and then weightlifting. Uh, I mean, what is your overall goal? What are, what are you trying to get out of your workout? I, I fully agree. You could even separate the two. If you really, if you really want to add cardio in, then do it at a separate time, and then come in when you're replenished and hit the weights. Next one is free weights or machines. Kind of the same thing. A lot of gym pop is, is you got to kind of figure out what your goal is. Um, I think you can actually kind of even not necessarily goal, but it's um, training partners kind of come into play there. Um, are you kind of going to a, a bodybuilding? Um, I think body kind of isolates certain muscles with machines a little bit better. Uh -huh. um, some people say that machines are better for like the older population. I say to an extent. If you want to start working on some stabilizers and some balances and things like that, I think free weights would definitely be the way to go. And then um, maybe even coming off an injury in a rehab setting, I think maybe a machine would be a good start to kind of get that muscle firing a little bit before you start adding stabilizers into it. I agree. Yeah, I definitely agree with that too. I think... No, I actually, maybe not to 100% agree with that. Uh, I might not like the machines as much, even for the older population. I I just don't like the way, I do like machines for isolated, you know, targeting certain groups. But I don't like how sometimes machines can only allow for a particular range of motions. And maybe you only have that one machine uh, available to you. Um, the other thing I'm not a big fan of machines is that, it's not 100% adaptable to everybody's body types. Yeah. Uh, and so sometimes you get people who can only get into certain ranges just because the machine limits them more than it actually helps them. Uh, so, I mean, I guess it just depends on, you know, what's your experience level. If you're coming back from injury, yeah, it's a great place to start. But, I mean, eventually you're going to get to more of those free weights. At least that's my goal with you. Uh, what about you, Rika? Yeah, I mean, you could use it as, like, a learning tool as well to try to get, like, that mind-to-muscle connection. Because essentially, like, the machine is set up for you to, quote-unquote, isolate those that muscle. So, that that's how I would incorporate it, I guess. Like, if you're really struggling to get something to fire, then try it on that. And then you can apply it to the free weight where you're going to get more of a range of, of motion set to you. I agree. Alex, I'm going to start out with this one. Uh, how often should I increase a load? Oh. That's a good one. I like that one a lot. Oh, boy. I mean, how in depth are you going to go on this? Uh, the basic answer is, <laughs> I mean, just, you know, like 
five, five pounds. I mean, it's almost like a progressive overload, if you will. Um, but there's situations leading up to that that need to be assessed as you're warming up to that weight. Um, you know, if something's feeling off, then probably not a good idea to like add that five. You know, you can maybe just back it down to like a 90% and do two or three reps with it. Because if you look at the volume of work compared to just doing one rep, you actually did more work. So you can get around it like that. But your goal is adding five pounds on each of your lifts per month. And if you break it down like that, it's 60 pounds over the year. So you can do the math on that on how strong you can potentially traject yourself in a year. Yeah, bingo. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, I'm gonna take a. Uh, does it hurt to be that good? Uh, no, it's it's. It, uh, is it a curse? It's, yeah, it's too uh, it's too broad. Yeah. Like, yeah, go ahead. I'm gonna take a, a youth um, approach on this one. Yeah, and it's the two by two rule. Pretty simple. If your <clears throat> athlete can do two more reps than what you're asking it to, mm-hmm. increase the load by five ten pounds. Yeah, yeah. Pretty pretty simple. I mean, it's not like if you're hitting your reps. And it's smooth, and you feel good, go up. But if you're breaking down form and stuff like that at maybe rep six and you got eight to go, then stay where you're at. Yeah, yeah. I've even used, like, an RPE scale sometimes for people where, like, maybe they just got, like, a really crappy work schedule. Maybe 65% last week felt easy. This week, 65% feels like crap. If they feel like that one day that they can progress things a little bit more, sure, why not? Uh, but, yeah. Let's open up a rant here. No, gosh. Let's get into it here. Bring it up. Um, there's a... I, hate it. I would say we, I can I can speak for all of us on this. Um, I feel like I can. If not, then I might just leave anyway. You assume greatly. <laughs> um, if you're going to be in the field, mm-hmm. what kind of field? The, like the strength and conditioning field. The yep. You, you gotta walk the walk. I fully agree about that. You gotta lift. You gotta you gotta work out. You gotta exercise. You gotta. There's Go a lot on. of coaches in here that just. What are you saying about me, man? I'm just, yeah. a, lot of pro, a lot of coaches out there just write programs, not knowing what's going to happen with them, not know how it feels, mm-hmm. and then just have the kids do it. Yeah. So it's easy to let's just let's just make up some numbers here. So let's say you got a 225 pound bench and you can hit it for four. So roughly the estimation is 250. Mm-hmm. And then cool, you're as strong as a high school senior. Yep. All these coaches are. Using their calculators or getting into these maps, and it's like, okay, you have to hit 85% for six reps. Because that's what the calculator says. Mm-hmm. And that's what they're going to program. And you have to hit that weight for that many reps. Sweet Jesus. And it's yeah. like, you ever try to, you try to hit multiple sets at a, an 85% yeah, at a weight for multiple sets? For it's, not, it's not happening. Yeah. Like, I think some of these coaches need to go through their workouts and get under a bar every once in a while to see how these loads either A, progress, or just how they work. Yeah. yeah. Pri- privilege chart. That's your best best friend. Yeah. You want to add all that for percentages and stuff like that. But, I mean, again, it's like, are, are you going to take diet advice on how to get a six-pack from a fat dude? Like it's this, it's the same concept. Like I'm not, I, I don't know. It's just, I think it's a, a level of respect, I guess. Like if, if I know that like you've been there and you've done that, then like your word is going to go a lot further 
than somebody that, oh, hey, I read this in a book and it told me that it's going to feel like it's crushing you. <laughs> Shit. But that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, don't freak out. I've never gotten under it, but I'll show you how to get through it. Like me. <laughs> yeah. To a degree, I, in the strength conditioning world, I definitely agree with that. I mean, it's like, are you going to listen to someone who really has no idea what they should be experiencing, what the progression should be like? I mean, that's, like, I, I write my own stuff for my strengthening. I mean, I get some insight from you here and there. Mm-hmm. But, like, I do that so that I know, like, how that affects me. Because kind of like what we had talked about in an earlier episode, like, what my testers and stuff like that have been identified more recently. So now I've been testing that and test, basically just trying to see how that progresses. If I have someone that doesn't really know what maybe needs to be modified and doesn't know what to look for, and they're just sitting there going from something that they learned in a book, cool, but experience also has its weight as well. Um, the only time I would say that sometimes it might not necessarily work would be like in the rehab setting, where like, I've never rolled my ankle before. Knock on wood. I have never rolled my ankle before. But like, I can work on helping to treat someone who has rolled an angle before so like I, I can go from that experience I might not necessarily yeah. tell you exactly and I'm never going to tell someone how they should be feeling like with like in regards to pain but I mean I can definitely tell you how it's going to be progressing with strengthening flexibility um, you know you could even get into mobility so I mean like that in that regards experience I mean if I've had like for example if someone comes to me with like shoulder pain they've been in a sling I can definitely I've walked a mile in those shoes I've been in that shoulder sling uh I know how much it sucks. I mean, just going from not being able to do something and now you're in a sling for six weeks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That'd be the only time I'd say yeah. All right. Uh, next one. We can kind of go on um, a couple different ways with it, but it's like how long should I rest between my sets? It's all, I mean, it's pretty um, broad. So you kind of yeah. break down into uh, the goals again, trying to build strength. One to three. Keep going super heavy, maybe five to eight. I mean, I don't, I think whenever you're doing a max out, there's almost not a, no such thing as too long of a recovery no. in, in, a, in an aspect. I kind of think that the same way as if you're doing sprints. If you're trying to do max speed, the more recovery you are, the better. I mean, obviously, you got to – how long is – some people take these long rests, and then they just kind of like mentally start kind of checking out a little bit. Yeah. If you're taking a five- to eight-minute rest, then you can fully kind of stay mentally checked in for that next set. I yeah. think that's, that's a big aspect. I think some of these kids will end up – thinking about they're taking a rest then they'll start going talking to like another kid at the next rack and they're going to kind of like get back to go the weight then they got to try to check back in and then they're kind of out of it <laughs> they're not I've seen anymore. it happen many times yeah yeah yeah. you got to be able to control that switch like that's that's another aspect that like you learn as you go over the years on when to flip the switch on and when to flip it off and because I mean when that switch is on I mean like your body doesn't know that it's not under a load yet mm-hmm. so to speak like, I mean, you're mentally like, all right, like, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. So you got to kind of play with it there. Yeah. I mean, I've even had, like, like in the past, I've had strength coaches who were, like, married to, like, the rep schemes of, like, 15 pluses endurance. 8 to 12 is hypertrophy. Like, what was it? 3 three to 8 is strengthening, depending on how many you're going for. 3 to 5 plus will be power. And then they would, like, tailor them those rest times to that. And, like, they would always have, if you're doing 15 plus, you only got 30 seconds in between the rest periods. But, like, if you go into, like, more of the strength and the power aspects, if you think about it, if you're only giving someone three to five minutes in between power outputs, but, like, maybe if you wanted to start working on being able to repeat that power output with less rest, you're not going to take that same full amount. Yeah. I mean, it's going to vary. But intent. What is your intent? Yeah. Um, And then I think 
if you is it a single exercise, you superset and if you try setting. Yeah. I think that all plays a, a big role. Um, usually my supersets, I try to go a minute. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 90 seconds tops. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, muscle endurance is kind of one thing. But I mean, I, I always think about it in terms of the of the sport. You know, so, like, if you're if you're playing football and, you know, let's say you're at the high school level, it's, what, 35 seconds is the play clock? 40. Okay, so we'll call it 40. So, I mean, you, you should be in enough shape to produce a maximal amount of force within 40 seconds repeated. Like, that kind of a deal. I mean, if you're playing basketball, so now you're transitioning. So, like, your, your, your times need to be shortened. Um, track is a little... Like you can kind of play with both games, I guess, if you will, as far as track goes. Um, depends on the on the distance runner versus the sprinter versus the thrower versus the jumper. But soccer, the same way. Like it's just you you need to have different rest points in there because soccer is a it's either go 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 or it's kind of jog go jog 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 go. So it just kind of changes like that. Um, next one is. What's the best time of the day to lift weights? Ooh, I like this question a lot. I'm curious to see what you guys interpret this one. Like, well, you, guys... you can break down the science of it, like with your whole, okay, you got your cortisone levels peaking yeah. at this time, and your testosterone levels peaking at this time. Yeah. Me, personally, I can't lift with food in my stomach. Yeah. Like, if I'm, like, doing a chest supported row, or if I'm doing a, a deadlift, and I got a belt on or a squat, I'm I'm, it's like... <laughs> From my stomach all the way up through my throat is like, yeah. it just feels like pain. Yeah. Stop being weak. Yeah. Maybe that's what it is, but I just, <laughs> I'm a wake up, get it done, empty stomach lifter. That's, yeah. yeah. And it just sits, suits mine. I mean, after you get here at, at 5 a.m. and then you're done at 8 p.m., like <coughs> the last thing I want to do is lift weights. Yeah. So I'd rather just get it done in the morning. Yeah. And then when I go home, I can shut it down and go from there. I'm curious, what, what do you think? I, I have my own little take on this. I, I am a, a morning person, but I like to at least lift on one meal um, because of the sport that I'm in. So I, I, I lift at 5 a.m., but nine times out of 10, when I go to like a meet, I'm not going to squat until 10 or 11. So in my head, if I can produce a 940-pound squat with one meal in me, then I should be able, in theory, to get a little bit more out of it if I can have like two or three meals in me with fuel and being able to like, you know, sleep a little bit extra that night or stuff along those lines. So I kind of I kind of train in the worst situation that you can put yourself in, and then as long as you're strong in that situation, you should be strong in the rest. That's how I think about it. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it definitely. You know, timing it out around food and around sleep is important. Uh, I remember trying to think of the guy's name. I want to say it was Paul Vanderberg uh, was doing a talk at UD. He wasn't at UD at the time. He was somewhere else. Uh, But he had been, like, the head chair of the Health and Sports Science Department. And I actually now think he's back at UD. Um, But we had been talking. I had asked some questions after one of his talks. And he had actually mentioned, like, for some reason from, like, 11-ish to like 2 is great for like power output because people have had like they're awake, they're more with it they've had enough time to get breakfast in, it's just before that period of time where like it's lunch time and then you can kind of have that time and kind of go from breakfast right into whatever you need to do for that midday workout and you can have you can basically be at your highest peak for like power output so like I've always thought of it that way but 
if I have to train at like 6 or 5 a.m. in the morning, I'm going to time my food up like heavy that night so that as I'm eating and sleeping, then by the time I wake up in the morning, if I don't have time to eat or even get like a little something in, I'm actually still able to sustain what I need for that day. Yeah. Um, but I've also been the, the night out working, you know, till Lord knows how long and then doing a research project and then going to go work out at like 9, 10 o'clock. I've done that too. But yeah. then I don't go to bed until later and also wake up later. So it's like, Whatever your schedule shifts to, you have to adapt for. Yeah. When in doubt, just get it in when you can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and don't feel like you need to force it. If you're not in it and you're really mentally not there, maybe you need a rest day. But if you if you want to track your progress and make it easier, try to work out at the same time each day. Like don't don't add an extra variable of oh on Mondays I'm in the morning, but Tuesdays I'm at night. So then I'm going to sleep for four and a half hours and train on Wednesday morning. Like you're you're screwing yourself and you're adding a variable that doesn't need to be there. Right. Inconsistency. Um, oh, this one's going to have a couple different answers. You're going to have a, a huge different, I think, compared oh, to, to me. Um, and it's uh, training partners. Okay. Um, oh, boy. I have a, a training partner consistently for whenever I did something. So like <laughs> yeah. December to May. Uh-huh. Just because my schedule's all over the place, it's hard to have like commit to yeah. have somebody here. Like sometimes I can work to work out at six, sometimes I can work out at eight. So it's just, and then it kind of keeps me in a personally. I think it keeps me in like a no one's watching me. Can I go to that limit mm-hmm. in, a, in an aspect? And it's a, if I'm not seeing the results that I want to see, then I'm not going that way. And over the years, I've, I've learned that I have no problem like dying on a wind bike. Yeah. It's just me, yeah. but I'm also not holding, you know, 900 pounds over my chest and I rely on them people to literally like keep me alive. Yeah. So that's where we'll kind of differ a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> just come in and go to the six a.m. and just like, hey, about to have you yeah, guys, I don't bench with clips anymore. I got stuck, man. Yeah. I was doing a slingshot bench and I had 365 for me as heavy. Yeah. And one of the little teeter totters and that thing, that's how I got out. It's gone. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, I uh, I rely heavily on on training partners. Um, I mean, e- even on bench, like I I can't I can't row five hundred or more out like on my own. It's just it's not going to happen. It's just going to wreck my shoulders. And then um, you know with squat too, because we we train in a mono, so somebody has to be there to you know run the rack or get that out of the way, that kind of thing. And then. Um, yeah, I, I just look at it like uh, you're you're a team, but you're competing against each other. So, you know, it's like whenever I'm training with anybody, you know, like my goal is to beat you that day. And I know their goal is to like embarrass me. So it's like, well, I don't I don't like being embarrassed by another grown man. So it's like, you know, you got to kind of like get get it going. You mean like when I felt incredibly small when I came with you to Westside that one day? Yeah. Yeah, I felt incredibly tiny. Not going to lie. I don't know. Training partners has always been an odd thing for me. I've had, like, very select few people I actually, like, not just enjoy training with, but also push me. I hate when people ask to train with me at the same time. But then, like, either they just want to talk or they want to learn while we're working out. And I don't want to do that. Or they're just not willing to push to the same degree. And so, like, I like my training partners to have, like, almost kind of like we talked again in the last episode, like, that rabbit aspect. 
Uh, I, I want to have someone who is either stronger than me or has a better engine than me. So I'm playing the catch-up game. Like strength, I guess more for the cardio thing. Uh, strength training, I feel like I'm kind of like you were saying. I've kind of found what I need to work on. I work on those things and I see progression. So like strength-wise, I'm fine with that. Now certain lifts like the bench press, yeah, I'd say. If I had a partner, that would be, oh my God, I would be living in luxury. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of like conditioning, one of the things I've actually, like, I don't want to say force myself. One of the things I've been trying to allow myself to do more of, not beat myself up about taking any more of my free time, is trying to get more into the CrossFit rooms, getting more into like Freedom Point, and actually starting to like work on my engine more. Because like, I will be terrible at pushing. Like, you're you're free to push yourself on a wind bike. I, I don't I don't like cardio. I won't lie. I hate it with a passion. So when you say go pick up 500 pounds, I'm gonna go do it. You ask me to go run two miles, I'm gonna look at you and be like, no. Unless you run with me, then yeah, sure. But you better be faster than me. Because then I want to catch you. That's yeah. why I got dogs. Yeah. That's why you got dogs. Yeah. If I take Minnie on a walk, she will want to want to go back to the house. If I take Miko on a walk, that dog wants to run, he'll run. But then he'll go like maybe a mile, and then he's like, Dad, I'm pause, hold me, please. <laughs> so that ain't going to happen. Yeah. But yeah. Last one. Compound exercises like pull-ups or isolated exercises like rows? Or can no less those? Why not both? I always will hit both. I love to do isolation because it just adds to your compound. 110 percent. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's like breaking down a deadlift. If you have a fault in one part of your movements, you isolate that group. You go test the compound again. If it improves, it great. If not, maybe that's not the part you were supposed to isolate. Uh, actually, I've been picking up a lot of that just from watching like my sumo stuff like that. Uh, went from my conventional because my deadlift was stalling uh, to sumo. Be so proud of me, uh, and start incorporating way more hamstring. And it's like my deadlift has been sore. It's like I'm gonna go with both. Yeah, I, I think uh, they're interchangeable. Um, you can't be married to one because eventually it will stall. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're, you know, let's say that you're, uh, what is called it the big three: squat, bench, and deadlift. And every single one, you're losing your upper back, meaning like you're not able to hold that contraction, well then you need to probably do like an inverted row with your chest touching the bar and hold that for 10, 12 seconds. So then like you're learning that like, this is how long I have to hold this for. So you need to get your upper body or your upper back adapted to that time frame. Um, Cause usually, I mean, if, if a lift is gonna take more than 10 seconds, you're probably not gonna get it unless you can downshift and really be a grind, which is, beyond impressive you can do it <laughs> I think the biggest mistake people make are the way they set their programs up yeah. I think too many people will go heavy on their isolation movement and not even realize it and then maybe go into it like they'll bang out like you know however many knee extensions or whatever they need to they do and then they go into a squat and then wonder why that's kind of playing an impact on their on their lift but um, kind of yeah. get your idea on it because I've been kind of doing it in my own lifts uh, like the even Lou does it, but I think I just see it kind of more with uh, Matt winning on his he sure. does, um, like his winning warm ups. Yeah, where he'll do a hundred reps of you know four or five different exercises as his warm up. Yeah. And kind of like, can you go over like the, the science behind it, or like the reason behind it, or like how it doesn't? I, it fatigues him, but like yeah, it's like a it's like a pre fatigue. So I mean the the background of it I guess is the longer that you've been like in the game if you will as far as like working out the longer that 
you're going to be taking to warm up. So he's picking the motions of um, these are some of his like weak points, let's say, you know, so you really want to warm up the shoulders, the pecs, the triceps. So he's going to do four sets of 25 on a dumbbell bench before he goes and does, you know, his normal bench. Um, and that's essentially just to, uh, oh man, what was the, what was the term? Uh, put fuel in the thrusters or something like that is what they used to like use. Yeah. You're essentially just like, you know, putting WD-40 on your muscles to get them, to get them going. Um, yeah, because realistically, no nobody like takes the time to really warm up as far as on the bench, like in the movement. You know, like I, I'm very guilty of that. I'm gonna get there as soon as I can and get the shit over with. You know, so like I'm I'm making you know plate jumps or 45 pound jumps all all the way up until like I'm done. You know, but there there's just it's a different uh, mindset of it too. So. That's why we have it like implemented with the kids, you know, like they do a lot of uh, ligament and tendon work as far as like the higher reps of 100 to 200 reps on tricep pushdowns or band pull-aparts, like that stuff. Um, and then, so it's it's kind of like a, a pre-fatigue, which is going to be in the safety of us as coaches because they're, they're less likely to get to that 100% range as far as their um, main movement goes. So then... If we can have little breakdowns there, that exposes the, their weaknesses that we can adjust on the fly and get you to going. That was long-winded. I liked it. It was good. Yeah. Any other questions? That's it. That's yeah. it. All right, guys. We hope you guys learned a little something tonight. Uh, if you guys have any questions, feel free to reach out or uh, you know ask one of us in the gym. Uh, but we will see you guys next time. <laughs>